So, my name is Ken Thompson. I know most of you probably know me, um, but for those of you who don't, who don't, I'm an elder here, and and I've been asked to come today. Rory, I talked to him on the phone, and <laughs> he could barely squeak. So, he was not preaching a sermon today. So I just pray that we we do justice to to God's word. Um, we've been working through Genesis when I've come, and we go back to Genesis again today. Genesis 3, the last part of it. We, we've, studied, we've studied several sermons now up to this, and we did the first part of Genesis 3 last week. So, so we, just, we just continue on, and, um, and we'll begin. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. We saw from the last sermon that this serpent is the serpent of old spoke about in Revelation, and it's the devil, it's Satan himself. This is speaking to a serpent, but <clears throat> the language is symbolic of something much larger. It's, um, it's explaining to Satan that he will be brought low. And because of what he has done, and we saw the last time we spoke that the reason Satan is in this state is because he wanted to be God. And we also see that the reason that Adam and Eve are in this state is because they also wanted to be God. So there's the problem, people wanting to be God. And because Satan wanted to be God, he's going to be brought low. And I guess this is symbolic for about as low as you can get. You crawl on the dirt and eat dust all your life. So he's brought low. Um, Satan knows he's brought low too. If we look in Revelation 12, Revelation 12, 12, we see that Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. So Satan knows that his time is short. He knows that he has been brought low. But he still has great wrath. And we see that in the world today, great wrath. But God is in absolute control of this as well. And Satan can be as wrathful as he wants, but he's still brought low. We go on in Genesis here, and he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's Genesis 3.15. It's probably one of the 
clearest pictures in the Bible of God's plan for redemption in Jesus Christ. So, but we'll break it down here a bit. So, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now, between you and the woman means between you and everybody, really, because as we read that Eve is called, she will be, the man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. So Eve became the mother of all living. And, and so when he puts enmity between him and the woman, it means all living. But there's another part of this that is more specific on who this it, it, um, it calls it in here, it calls her offspring. I'm more familiar, and many of you older ones especially would be more, more familiar with seed, the seed of the woman. And um, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And, and we see that picture in scripture. First of all, we looked at Galatians 4.4 4, and and we see when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So Christ was born of a woman. And you notice here, he, she was born of the woman, not the man. Um, Christ was not born of a man because, because man took responsibility for sin entering into the world. If Christ had been born of a man, he would have inherited Adam's sin. It, it's, it's kind of a, um, a mystery, but we see that in, um, in 1 Timothy 2, 13 and 14. And, um, um, he said, for Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So the woman is deceived. Adam was not deceived. And I believe the reason that he says that is because Adam knew full well what he was doing when he ate that, when he ate that fruit, the forbidden fruit. He was rebelling against God. And so Adam rebelled. And the woman was deceived. So that's partially it. Now we see in Romans 5.12. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and death spread to all men because all sinned. 
Sin came into the world through Adam. And that is why we see the seed of the woman, which was who Christ came through. Um, if we turn to, to Genesis 3, 6, or sorry, to Galatians 3.16, we see more of this, this picture here. Um, he's talking about the covenant he, that God made with Abraham now. And he said, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say unto his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring who is Christ. And so the seed of the woman again, he didn't talk about seed plural, he's talking seed singular here, who is Christ. So we see really what he's talking about here in Genesis 3.15 is, is the seed of the woman who is Christ. Genesis 3.15 is a picture of Christ and his redeeming work on the cross, the seed, singular. And so we have to realize that what we're talking about here. And he also said here, I will, he will bruise your head. Christ will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And we see that language. Some translations translate it crush. He will crush your head because the word can mean crush. But it, it can also mean bruise. And it's used both ways. The same word is used for, um, for he will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And I believe that's why they, most translations translate it bruise in both cases. But we do see that this could easily be translated, he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel because first of all, the head, you look at human body, the highest point is the head, the lowest point is the heel. Your heel touches the ground at the lowest point. Your head is the highest point. So if you're going to attack somebody and you attack his head, that's going to be much greater than if you attack the heel. So Christ is going to basically crush Satan is what he's saying here. And we see that same language in Romans 16.20. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And that word in Greek now does mean crush. So Satan will be crushed. We see that he's angry. He knows he's a defeating foe. But he will be crushed. At, at, on the cross, it looked... Satan thought he had defeated Christ on the cross. But he didn't defeat Christ. In fact, Christ was the total victor because God's ultimate plan for redemption happened exactly as God had planned it. And so we see, we see this was not a victory for Satan. This was a defeat 
even though it looked like a victory at the, t a victory at the time. None of this was an afterthought either. And we talked about that last week, but, or last time I spoke, but this is all of a sudden when the fall happened, this was, God did not have to remake his plan on, okay, now we have to fix things again. No, no, this was not an afterthought. And we see that in Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. So we see a couple of things here. We see the blood of the eternal covenant. This happened in eternity past. And we also see that you may do his will. This is God's will. This, this is God's will. That's important. So what we see here is a picture of the Trinity. And we see it from all eternity. So why do we need, why do we have the Trinity? Why the Trinity? God could have just been God. He's God. He gets to do whatever he wants. But yet we see a triune God. And we see, we see this, this blood. There is a blood covenant between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit from all eternity. And it's for man's redemption. And it's for man's redemption from all eternity. So that shows you something about God. God knew God had a plan for redemption from all eternity. When man rebelled in the garden, we are now under a death sentence because God clearly told Adam that if he ate of the fruit, that he would surely die. And, and there is that, and God is just. When God says you will surely die, he means you will surely die. And so how can God complete the death sentence and at the same time be just? How can he, how can he on one hand forget the death sentence and on the other hand complete it? And now this is where we get into the divinity of Jesus Christ. Because that is how he did it. Many cults mock the Trinity. And the problem is, is that the is is that where they get tripped up is on the is on the divinity of Jesus Christ. Christians, as a rule, don't have a problem with the, with the Trinity because they don't have a problem with the divinity of Jesus Christ. But the cults do. The cults do have a problem with the divinity of Jesus Christ. And they can usually tip, trip up a Christian pretty easy. 
by just saying simply, okay, you're so smart, explain the Trinity to me. And you see Christians become babbling fools, <laughs> myself included. But the question, what I say now is, okay, well, I'll explain the Trinity, but do you believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ? And that is where they stop, because that is the true problem. It's not the problem of the Trinity. It's the problem of the divinity of Jesus Christ. So don't get tripped up on long arguments about the Trinity, because their problem is Christ. And that's what we have to keep focused on, because that is the blood of the eternal covenant. And this is also a picture of God's sovereignty. We see an eternal covenant. We, we see other places in scripture where this was ordained from the beginning. God's plan for redemption. It's, and, and a lot of people say, yeah, but God has foresight so he can see into the future and he kind of knows, but that there's many places in scripture where God talks about his ordained, his preordained will. And we're, what we're seeing here is this, this is not only foresight, this is foreordained. And I really do believe until we are ready to give absolute sovereignty to God, we are stuck and going nowhere. That, the reason that Adam and Eve were in this problem is because they refused to give sovereignty to God. They rebelled against his will in the garden. And that is why the state, that's why we are in the state we are today. If people were willing to come under a sovereign God, under his sovereign, perfect will, In Isaiah 55, he talks about um, he talks about some things. We 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 got to know who God is before we can give Him sovereignty. We actually have to know who this God is. Isaiah 55, eight to eleven says, this is God speaking, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are, my, are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return, we do not return there, but water the earth, bringing forth to sprout giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish which I purpose and shall succeed in the things which I see it. So God's will is going to be done. This will not return void until this returns for God's purpose for what God had purposed. We see in Romans 12 again about his will. 
Romans 12, 2. He says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the perfect will of God that we need to come under. And until we do, I really don't believe we are going to grow and bear fruit. So Christ had to be fully man. We see that in, again, in, um, in Galatians 4, 4. He had to be born of a woman, born under the law. So that's the first thing he had to be. He had to be born of a woman. He had to be fully man to fulfill the demands of the law in our place. And yet he had to be fully God to live the perfect life in our place. And also he had to be God because only God could bear God's holy wrath against sin. Only God could be found just by completing this death sentence. God had to actually die to fulfill Genesis 3.15. Or actually in, in Genesis 2 later on where it says, you will surely die. And this is a picture of 3.15 where God accomplished that. This was not some innocent third party that God sent. You, you, bear, you bear that. This was God himself in the flesh completing God's sovereign will for redemption. So now we go on to Genesis 3.16 and we see that God turns to the woman and um, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So the woman, he said, I will multiply your pain in childbearing. I don't know whether it was all of a sudden something happened, but it's just we know that life comes through travail, through labor, and that's part of the curse. So we just have to accept that. But it goes on to say your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now, see the desire there and the word, the, wor the words that, that's, that, that is there is actually you will your desire will be to control your husband, but he will rule over you. It's the same language that we see in Genesis 4, 6, when the Lord is speaking to Cain. He said, after, after he rejected Cain's offering, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? So he said, and then he goes on, he says, if you, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. 
So that's the exact same language. It says the desire, sin's desire is to control you. But you must rule over it. So what, he, what he's saying to the woman is, in the fall, that your desire is actually going to be to rule. Because that's what sin does. Sin comes into the world. We want to rule. And, but it says your husband shall rule you. This was not the way it was meant to be in the beginning because we see that when God created woman, we, we see that, we see the language here in Genesis 2 and when, when Adam first saw Eve, he says, at last, this is at last, the bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God's original plan for marriage was not this, you're going to rule, I'm going to rule type of thing. It was actually for, for the two to become one flesh. So how do we get back to becoming one flesh again? Because this... This is not what God intended. This is the result of the fall. And again, I can show you a few verses when I spoke on marriage here a month or two ago. I, I actually went to some of these verses. But, but one of the ones here is that is um, turn to Colossians. Colossians 3, 19 and 20. Actually, we'll start in 18. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. This is the actual plan that, that God has for marriage. So how do we get from ruling over one another to treating them with love, not being harsh. How do we go to there? And again, I have to go back to 1 Corinthians because that's where the answer lies. It's 1 Corinthians 11. And we have to see the hierarchy of things here. Of I'll read it here. It says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So we see the hierarchy. There's God the Father. Christ is in complete submission to God the Father. Man is in complete submission to Christ. And woman is in submission to man. That's the only way it works. It doesn't work if we want control, because that's the problem, is that sin has caused us to, to desire to rule over something. And, and we need to get back to the way God ordained marriage. Man needs to be in complete submission to Christ. 
But the only way we do that is if we look to Christ himself. Because we see that Christ is in complete submission to the Father. Christ did not need to be in complete submission to the Father. Christ showed us the path of the way we were to live our lives. And that is what we have to get back to in marriage. Because marriage lived like Genesis 3 is going to be dashed upon the rocks. Marriage lived according to Colossians and 1 Corinthians will be restored. So now we get to, to the man here and he says and to Adam he said because you have Listen to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field by the sweat of your face until you return to the ground who you were take, where, out of which you were taken for you are a dust and to dust you will return. That is the result of the fall. Not living and being able to partake of the tree of life and live with God forever, but now to be returned to dust. I don't have to tell you that life is a struggle. I think we've kind of figured that out ourselves. This, this is a struggle. We, we, I, I farmed as a young man, and I can tell you all about weeds. We, we plant, and all of a sudden, all we get is a crop of weeds. We fight them, and we fight them. Life, you look, you go to, you go to work. It's a struggle. But again, we see that it begins in Genesis three. God's perfect plan of salvation that eventually it's not going to be a struggle. This is the result of the curse. The rest of the book tells us the plan of God's perfect salvation. God's perfect plan of redemption where he's going to make the world good again. And so we have to realize that this life is a struggle. But if we're in Christ, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So if we're in Christ and we look to Christ as the author and perfecter of our faith, we begin to have a peace. Even in the midst of struggle, we begin to have a peace that we cannot have without Christ. We try, we try to fill it with all kinds of things. It does not work. There is no peace apart from the Prince of Peace. Look at the world today. War. That's all we see. War, hatred, <clears throat> lies. Again, we need to get back to God's plan of salvation. Another thing I want to point out here too now is the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now, to a world today that believes in evolution, 
that that is confusing. It's um, because people don't believe that today. People don't believe that Eve was the mother of all living. But I, we will see as we go on here, as we see the in Genesis 4 through 11, how the nations branched out and where they branched out from, that we, we see that Adam and Eve were the parents of all people and Eve is the mother of all living. And the evolutionists will laugh at you when you say that. You'll be mocked. But this is what God says. This is what God said in his word. And it, whether or we're going to believe the evolutionists on TV or whether we're going to believe God, you have to make that decision. But I can tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says that Eve is the mother of all living. So, again, there it is. All I can do is tell you what the Bible says. The next thing is the Lord God made Adam and Eve <clears throat> and uh, the, the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. See, because they were already clothed in fig leaves, but again, this is a picture of the re blood redemption that the covering has to be a blood covering. And we see that all through scripture. We see first here but then we also see it in the sacrifices, in the temple sacrifices, which are really just a picture and a shadow of things to come, which is what? Christ on the cross. The ultimate sacrifice, the shedding of blood, the complete atonement. But we see pictures of that all through here, and this is one of them. It had to be an atoning sacrifice. It had to be a... It had to be... A blood sacrifice. Now we see that the Lord put, uh, he says, um, then the Lord said, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now let us reach out his hand and now lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So he could still have reached out for the tree of life because the tree of life was in the garden and he was still in the garden. But God says, you can't have the tree of life anymore because you chose the knowledge of good and evil. You chose the wrong tree. You rebelled. The reason you chose the wrong tree is because you rebelled against my commands. You wanted to do it your way. You wanted to be like God, knowing good and evil. So now... The tree of life, we don't see it again until Revelation, the last couple of chapters of Revelation. And there it is again. It's in, it's in the new heavens and the new earth where people can freely take of the tree of life. And again, we see that. And he put a, he put a, a cherubim with a flaming sword and drove them out of, the, out of Eden. And they could not come back. You could never go back to Eden. So for those of you reconstructionists who think that we can rebuild this earth the way God wanted it and prepare a good world for him to come back to, we can't go back to Eden. This world cannot be redeemed. This world is reserved for fire. And we have to just come under God's will. 
there is a good world coming. It's a perfect world again, the way God meant it to be in the beginning. But we have to wait for it. And we can't create it here because this world has fallen. And if we think any otherwise, we're delusional. So again, there we have it. We have God's plan summed up in a few verses. There's more probably in Genesis 3.15 and on than the whole story is there. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. But we, that's why we read scripture is because we have hope. We have hope that God has a plan. And God had a plan from eternity. Let's pray. Lord, I just, I thank you for revealing in your word your, your eternal plan. It's a plan of hope. It's a plan of restoration. It's a plan of reconciliation. And it's through our Lord Jesus Christ where we find it. Lord, we, I just pray that people's hearts are softened and that we can realize that this is the way back through your plan of redemption. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.